0: On
1: the last three episodes of Discover Your Spiritual Identity, we have focused our attention on this amazing title that rests upon the people of God. We are heirs of the grace of life. What a powerful revelation goes along with that. God's grace flowing into your life to complete you, to heal you, to deliver you, to empower you. But now on this episode, we're going to crown the last three weeks of Revelation with another related title. We are called to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now to be an heir of the grace of life is to be a recipient, but to be a good steward of the manifold grace of God is to pour out to others what God has poured into you. Remember, Jesus told the woman at the well that if anyone came to him and drank living water, it would be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, this living water, this grace flowing into your life first satisfies your need, but then it changes its circuit and instead of flowing into you, it flows out of you to meet the needs of others. Now in 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as each one has received a gift, so minister it one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now what is a steward? A steward is a manager or an overseer over another person's affairs or goods. What an awe-inspiring thing it is to realize that you and I, as recipients of the grace of God, have now been made managers and overseers of the dispensing of that grace into the world around us. Once you receive grace, it becomes your responsibility and your privilege to give it away to good people, to bad people, and... You're going to be shocked by this, but you're also called to give it to God himself. And that's going to happen two ways, and we'll find out how you give grace to God toward the end of this podcast episode. So we recognize we are stewards. We have been given this marvelous, wonderful gift called grace. Now let's go back to the original Greek language of 1 Peter 14. It says, as each one has received a gift, the Greek word translated gift is charisma, charisma, C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A. As each one has received a charisma, a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And the word translated grace is charis, the root word of the word translated gift, charisma. So every gift that you receive from God is a manifestation of grace and a means by which grace can be extended to others. If you have a charisma, you are called to extend charisma or grace to others. And it comes in many different facets. It's called the manifold grace of God because it expresses itself in a multiplicity of ways. And we're going to inspect some of those ways right now. Whenever grace comes into our life in the form of a gift, it may come as the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness, according to Romans five seventeen, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of eternal life. All of these are gifts from God. And then there are the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are all manifestations of grace. But you do not receive these gifts just for you. I do not receive the gifts of God just to contain them within myself for my own spiritual benefit. If I receive the gift of salvation, my calling is to give it away to as many as I can. If I receive this wonderful gift of imparted righteousness that comes through the washing of the blood of Jesus. It's my privilege and my honor and my passion to give away that righteousness to others who are struggling to somehow become worthy of God by their own works. And if I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's my privilege, my honor, and my passion to tell others you can be filled with the very presence of God. Now, let me go back and define grace again so that you have a little bit clearer understanding of what you're giving away, what you're receiving, and then what you're imparting to others. Number one, grace is unmerited love, unearned divine favor. Number two, grace is divinely imparted abilities. Number three, grace is God's abundant generosity towards you. Think of that, unmerited love, divinely imparted abilities, and abundant generosity. And we're called to give away this expression of the heart of God that poured into our lives to others in four primary ways. Before I go into those four ways that we give grace away though, let me lay a foundation by quoting 2 Corinthians 6.1. That verse urges us not to, to receive the grace of God in vain. So you can receive grace in vain. And that passage is pinpointing worldliness or lack of commitment as the cause. Because if you're entangled in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life in a nearly backslidden condition, surrounded with worldly people whose lives you never impact, you have received the grace of God in vain. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible warns us not to fail the grace of God or to fall short of the grace of God. That's the King James and the New King James Version. And then it goes on to explain that the way that happens is if we allow bitterness, unforgiveness to get in our hearts. And then If we are bitter toward others, the grace that came into our lives when we are unworthy is dammed up inside of us. And instead of flowing out to the unworthy, we try and bottle it up within ourselves, but we fall short of the grace of God because if grace is unmerited love flowing in, grace is unmerited love flowing out. Ouch, right, I think I just heard you say that. Ouch. And yet, that's the very nature of what grace is. Now, I told you that if you're going to be a grace giver, just like God is a grace giver, He's called the God of all grace and He doesn't keep it to Himself. In fact, His very throne is called the throne of grace and He calls us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? So that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He bears this infinitely inexhaustible amount of grace in his throne room so that he can transfer it to those who come boldly to him in faith. Well, if you and I are going to be in his image, we need to do the same thing. So there's four ways we give grace away. Number one, we give grace to those who affect our lives negatively. Now, listen closely. This is gonna be the most challenging part of my presentation today. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount as contained in Luke chapter six, verses 32 through 35. A specific passage, that talks about how to deal with our enemies. It says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. And here's the tough part. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. I could stop right now and we can all say we've been to church and we need to head to the altar. I don't know that I'm there. I try to get there. I'm offered opportunities in life often where I can actually implement these truths. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't do so well. But there's a hidden revelation here I need to share with you. Remember the word credit? I said it over and over again, three times. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Well, the word translated credit there is the Greek word charis the same word that is normally over a hundred times translated grace. No wonder another version of the Bible renders that passage a little differently. And it says, if you only love those who love you, what grace do you practice? Actually, I believe that's a more correct rendering because of the original Greek. In other words, if we can only love the lovely and the loving and the lovable, we're not flowing in grace yet. But if we love the unloving and the unlovely and the unlovable and we show grace to them and grace is not just a meager amount of love, it's abundant generosity. Like Jesus on the cross crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do to the very ones who drove the nails through his hands and his feet. We're called to that kind of love. And you've been given opportunities often to exhibit it. I wonder if you've failed the grace of God. I wonder if I've failed the grace of God because I've allowed hardness of heart to prevent this awesome river from flowing out of me. Well, Peter also added something to this particular slant in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he said, "'This is commendable. "'If because of conscience toward God, "'one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. "'For what credit is it "'if when you are beaten for your faults, "'you take it patiently, "'but when you do good and suffer, "'if you take it patiently, "'this is commendable before God.'" Now... The word commendable that is mentioned twice there. What is commendable? That means it's praiseworthy. And if you suffer for well-doing, if you suffer because you pour out your heart to others and you receive rejection and ridicule and persecution and rifts in relationship because people cut off from you or betray you and yet your motive was pure and, and they misrepresented how you felt and yet you don't strike back you don't hold a grudge, this is commendable, but the original word is charis. This is the grace of God. And really, that's how it should be translated. This is a manifestation of the grace of God, if because of conscience toward God, you endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Well, that's the number one. No, don't turn off, don't turn off this podcast right now. You may already be thinking this is too much. This is too heavy. I can't live up to this. Well, it gets a little better, quite a bit better, quite a bit easier. The number two way that you give grace away is to the world outside of Christianity. They desperately need you. No excuse is sufficient. Don't tell God you were afraid. You can't bury your talent out of fear. Don't tell God you were intimidated, that you're not a good talker, that you couldn't stand up against their arguments. They need you. And that's why Colossians chapter four, verse six says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every person. What does that mean, let your speech always be with grace? And then the analogy is, it's seasoned with salt. Well, quite often if you have bland food, food that's not really palatable, you can sprinkle it with salt and all of a sudden it draws out the flavor of that food and it becomes not only endurable, but enjoyable. And really, when you start making demands on people religiously of what the Bible expects us all to do, that's a meal that some people just have a hard time swallowing. But if you season it with a lot of love and a lot of kindness and a lot of sparkles in your eyes of real sincere caring and compassion, then all of a sudden, a meal that might be pushed aside Is just devoured, and they say, I want the God that you've got. Let your speech be always with grace. Be kind, be gentle, be humble. Don't try to win arguments, try to win friends because you can't convince everyone of what you believe all the time. In fact, there's an old saying, and I love it, I've repeated it many times that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and that's where grace kicks into gear. The third way you give grace away is to the body of Christ. And that's in a church setting, especially when we build a family of believers on a local level. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven says, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And the word Christ is the Greek word, Christos, that is the equivalent of the Hebrew Mashiach, which means Messiah. So according to the gift of the Christ, the anointed one, that's what Christ means, that's what Messiah means. The anointing, the charisma, it's a very similar word, C H R I S M A. The charisma that poured out on his life, that blessed the world around him, is now poured into your life in the form of charis or grace, C-H-A-R-I-S, and unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means you have a specific and unique calling. All men are born into the world originals, but most men die copies. Don't be a copy of other people. Find out who God says you are. Because Jesus ascended on high, and the Bible said he gave gifts to men, and then it lists five kinds of gifts that he gives to the world, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Well, first you receive the gift of apostleship, or a prophetic calling, or an evangelistic calling, or a pastoral calling, or a teaching anointing. But then in order to fill that role, you don't just put a plaque over a door declaring that that is a title you bear. You walk in the reality of that and you, you impact the world around you. And so you receive a gift to become a gift to others. Other gifts include the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit as listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven through 11. The utterance gifts, which are speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy, the power gifts, healing, miracles, and faith, and the revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, and also Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, we find other gifts mentioned, like exhortation, leadership, liberality, mercy, helps, and governments, If you're just somebody that's at the church all the time helping any way you can, that is a gift. If you go through your community helping the underprivileged, that is a gift from God. God even describes those who supply financial support for the poor and for the work of God as having a special grace. You can find that in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 it says, see that you abound in this grace also. So giving of your material substance, giving your money to the kingdom of God, to the work of God, and giving of material things to those who need them is an expression of grace in your life. Now I get to the point that I'm sure you've been waiting for, wondering how in the world could this ever be? I told you at the beginning that one of the ways you give grace as a steward of the grace of God, is to give it back to God. Does that even seem possible? He's the God of all grace. How could he even need grace? Or why would he want it from you? If grace is unmerited love, how could it be given to God? Because he would certainly merit it. Well, when it flows back to God, it certainly does not flow in the character of unmerited love because he certainly merits our love to the highest degree. But the place I found this amazing truth is in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, where Paul has given lots of revelation about different facets of our inheritance as children of God. And then he comes to this ecstatic conclusion. He says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. In other words, I can't even describe in words how wonderful this gift is. And so he said, I'm just praising God for something that's absolutely indescribable. But the Greek word that is translated thanks there in the King James Version is once again, the Greek word that is usually translated grace, charis. And so if you literally translated that, According to the original language, it would be grace be unto God for his unspeakable gift of grace to me. How do you give grace back to God? In the form of grace-filled worship, grace-filled adoration, and grace-filled works performed in his name. Working and harvesting the souls of men, doing everything you can to extend his kingdom, and then offering it back to him as an act of worship, you are gracing God ultimately by the way you grace people. Because did not Jesus say, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me? We are good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A missionary named E. Stanley Jones said it so well, and I'm going to end with this. Nothing is ever really
0: yours
1: until you share it.
0: Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.